0: Have you ever forgotten? Have you ever forgotten something before? I mean maybe it's due to old age, maybe it's not. But you guys ever been been there before you've just plain old forgotten something. Your thinker stopped working. Maybe you couldn't remember where you placed your car keys. That happens to all of us at some point, doesn't it? Maybe you get to the grocery store and you can't remember why you were sent there in the first place. Uh, Maybe you come out of the grocery store, even as little as Hayes parking lot is here in town, and you can't remember where you parked. Uh, Maybe you can't remember that one of your friends is having a baby boy, not a baby girl. (laughs) My sincere apologies there, Will and Tiffany. Great guy. Like I knew as soon as I said last week y'all were having a girl, something wasn't right about that, so... We forget things from time to time, don't we? And the reason why is pretty simple. We're not perfect. We don't have perfect minds. We don't have perfect memory. But here's another question for you along this same line, and a little more thought-provoking than the first. Have you ever forgotten yourself? Uh, Here's here's what I'm telling you. Have, Have you forgotten who you are? My wife, Stephanie, came across a news report on Facebook a couple weeks ago about a forgetful lady, and I want to share this news story with you. The article was titled, Missing Woman Mystery Solved. A group of tourists spent hours Saturday night looking for a missing woman near Iceland's Elja Canyon, only to find her among the search party. The group was traveling through Iceland on a tour bus and stopped near a volcanic canyon. Soon, there was word of a missing passenger. The woman, who had changed clothes, didn't recognize the description of herself and joined in the search. The search was called off at about 3 a.m., when it became clear that the missing woman was in fact accounted for and had been searching for herself. Here's a last question to kind of help tie these thoughts together this morning as we come to God's Word. Have you ever forgotten who you are in Christ? Have you ever failed to remember who Christ is in you? In the Bible passage I'm going to read this morning, we find Paul offer two reminders to Christians to help them remember who they are in Christ. In Christ, rebels who were once against God are made into righteous ambassadors of the gospel. If you have a copy of the Bible, I would ask you to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. If you'd rather look on a screen, you can pull out your phone. I think the words will be behind me on the screen. I want you to listen as I read these words aloud from the New American Standard Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, "...which you also received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried." And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Therefore, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Verses 1 and 2 of this text set the table for the main course. Paul was writing to Christians in the church at Corinth in order to make known or clarify or remind them of the gospel message. The good news that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again is the crux of the Christian faith. If a person genuinely believes this message, then his or her identity is thoroughly and radically transformed. In Christ, rebels who were once against God are made into righteous ambassadors of the gospel. Now let's take a closer look at the two reminders issued in these verses regarding our identity in Christ. The first reminder is in verses 3 through 8, the reminder of the powerful message, the powerful message. The word gospel simply means good news. In Christian context, the gospel is the good news that is defined in verses 3 through 8. The gospel message is powerful. Because it is triumphant, it is trustworthy, and it is transformative. If the only news was that Christ died, the news would not be good. It would be a tragedy. An innocent man, the perfect and holy, beloved, and only begotten Son of the Heavenly Father, died on a Roman cross at the behest of jealous Jewish leaders. If you just opened up the paper and you saw a person's name in the obituary, you wouldn't think, wow, what good news. But the gospel is far more than a two-word headliner that says Christ died. The gospel is powerfully triumphant because Christ died for our sins is what verse 3 says. For our sins. The construction of this prepositional phrase shows us both the cause and effect or purpose and result of Jesus's death. He died in order to atone for our sins and the result of his finished sacrifice is sure forgiveness. Christ died for our sins. The gospel is powerfully triumphant. The gospel is also powerfully trustworthy because Christ's death and resurrection happened in accordance with the Scripture, and is attested by his three days in a tomb. The Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah, the anointed one of God, would die and go through subsequent glory, be raised to new life. The Old Testament prophesied, in other words... God knew what was going to happen and he sent his son to fulfill his purpose. The gospel is not man's word, it's God's word. It's trustworthy. Jesus wasn't just knocked out, badly injured, or wounded to the point of unconscious shock, he was dead in his tomb. Jesus' body wasn't hidden away by his friends in some unbeknownst place through a corpse heist. His body was placed in a tomb under official Roman guard. In other words, everybody who cared knew exactly where Jesus was buried, and they couldn't get to him without authorization. His body wasn't stolen away by his followers a few days later. Jesus was stone dead and a stone sealed the entrance of his tomb. A stone so heavy that nobody by themselves could move it and get in. But three days later, something incredible happened. The crucified Savior became the risen Lord. And although nobody could get into the tomb of Jesus, Jesus came out. The gospel is powerfully trustworthy because God said it was going to happen and we know that there was attestation from official historical records that a man named Jesus of Nazareth was crucified and laid in a tomb. The gospel isn't just powerfully triumphant and trustworthy, it is also powerfully transformative. It's transformative because a dead man came back to life And that same man guarantees eternal life to all who believe in him. In other words, this isn't just good news about what happened to Jesus, but this is good news about what God can do in your life and my life. It's transformative. Think about how many people saw Jesus after he resurrected, saying that he was alive. In the Bible, we know of five resurrection appearances on Easter morning, Mary Magdalene in the garden, other women leaving the garden, two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Peter, and then the ten disciples in the shut and barred room, Judas having died and Thomas being absent. And then there are at least five more resurrection appearances after that first Sunday that are recorded in the New Testament the eleven disciples with Thomas present the following Sunday, seven disciples at the Sea of Galilee, an appearance to James, the half-brother of Jesus, all of the disciples, and some 500 people on Mount Galilee for the giving of the Great Commission and Jesus' ascension. That doesn't even mention Saul, the great persecutor of the church who was visited by Jesus on the road to Damascus. Saul or Paul as people would pronounce his name with a different tongue could attest to the powerful message of Jesus Christ. Each and every one of these people witnessed the risen Savior, the risen Lord, And they all testified to the same fact of faith. Jesus is alive. The Christian faith hinges upon his life. And if Jesus lives forever, then it changes how we live our lives here and now. And it changes what our lives will be like when we leave this earth. When Jesus gives us life, he transforms our lives. I want to ask you a question. Has the gospel message changed your life? I mean, I'm not talking about, could you just state the fact Christ died? But have you understood that Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures? That his body was laid in a tomb, that he actually died, the very Son of God breathed his last. And then, three days later, he rose up, to live again, and to never die again. Have you believed that Jesus is Lord? Maybe you have. Do you remember what happened on the day that you first met Jesus Christ and He began the process of transforming you from a rebel without a cause to a righteous woman with a purpose? Have you forgotten how grand and how glorious the precious truth of salvation really is. Paul wanted the believers to whom he was writing to be reminded that their entire identity rests on the powerful message of Jesus Christ. And I want you as a Christian to remember that this morning. Your entire identity Rest not in what you can do for God, but in what God has done for you in the person of His Son, Jesus. He died for our sins, took away the punishment for the wrong that we've done. He rose again to new life, giving us the freedom to live righteously in His sight. In Christ, rebels who were once against God are made into righteous ambassadors of the gospel. The first reminder that we are in Christ and that we are righteous ambassadors of his gospel is the powerful message. The second reminder that in Christ we are righteous ambassadors of the gospel is that we are the pitiful messengers. There's a powerful message and it's communicated through none other than pitiful messengers. Look at verses 9 through 11. Paul calls himself an apostle. One of these pitiful messengers. In a general sense, the word apostle means one who is sent out. As Christians, we are all sent out by our Lord to proclaim the gospel message to the world. In a technical sense, the word apostle in the New Testament came to be synonymous with those who had personal, visible encounter and interaction with the risen Christ in that sense of the word neither you or i are apostles that privilege of walking the earth with jesus hearing the words of roll off of his tongue and seeing his physical hands directly work wonders is not ours to obtain paul however held that blessed privilege and position in the new testament calling himself the least of all the apostles because Jesus appeared to him after his ascension into heaven. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ, but lest you think that title was high and lofty and Paul liked to throw his weight around about how important he was in God's kingdom, just look at how he thought of holding such honor. Paul included himself last in the resurrection appearances. He was the Johnny-come-lately of all the apostles, and he also held the perspective that he was not fit, deserving, or worthy to be an apostle because of the sin in his life prior to surrendering to Jesus. I mean, Paul was a bad dude. He didn't rebel against God as a pagan without God's law. It was worse than that. He used God's own law ...as a justified reason to imprison, beat, and murder followers of Jesus Christ. How much worse off could you get? He persecuted the church of God, verse 9. Christians were so scared of this man that they fled the city of Jerusalem... ...after Paul condoned the killing of one of the first deacons of the church... ...whose name was Stephen... For fear that Paul and others would publicly charge them with blasphemy against God and drag them into the marketplace so that a riotous Jewish crowd could pummel them with rocks until they died, those Christians picked up, packed up, and moved. But it's interesting to see how God was at work through the Apostle Paul, even these evil actions. Even before Paul became a Christian, God was using him to further the advance of the gospel. This persecution led disciples to move to other areas and make other disciples in those different districts. Paul continued, however, his pursuit of these pestering Christians. While traveling to the city of Damascus with official orders to arrest more Christians, called by the Jewish authorities as followers of the way, he, Paul, had a personal, visible, and blinding encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was headed down the road with his companions, and Jesus appeared to him in shining brilliance and asked him a question. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul replied by saying, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus answered, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. The rest of the story in all its fullness and details is recorded in Acts chapter 9. And it's summarized this way. Paul was literally blinded and completely dumbfounded at having wasted his life Kicking against God's plan of redemption through his son Jesus. Paul thought he was doing the right thing, but he could not have been more wrong. He was a rebel against God, thinking that he was living a good life. For a few days, Paul sat in bewilderment until he was visited and prayed over by a Christian named Ananias. Upon witnessing and upon praying, Paul gave his life to Jesus Christ and received his sight. He then went out to proclaim the gospel message to the world. And instead of being known as Saul, the great persecutor of the church, he was identified as Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. That is what God's good news can do. The good news of Jesus is so wonderful, in fact, that it doesn't matter who is preaching the message or how they are preaching it. It's still the power of God to salvation to all who believe. That doesn't mean that God doesn't care about the integrity of a pastor or the preparation and delivery of a sermon. What it means is that God's grace is so great that He can take a worthless wretch and still convict, challenge, and comfort people when they hear His good news. I've heard it said that one reason you know the gospel is good news, and that it's the power of God into salvation, is because it has withstood so much shoddy preaching throughout the centuries. But still when people hear it today, their lives are transformed. That's the reminder that Paul gave to Christians to help them remember their identity. It wasn't just that they were listening to a well-advertised message from the Apostle Paul. It wasn't just that they were duped into buying a product that was marketed throughout the world. It was that they were placing faith in the gospel that had transformed the very lives of the people that were proclaiming it. We could all say with Paul that God's grace in our lives has changed us. It is not I, but the grace of God with me, verse 10. Let me give you an example. Stacy King, power forward for the Chicago Bulls professional basketball team, made the following remark to reporters after a game played against the Cleveland Cavaliers. It was during this game that Michael Jordan scored his individual career high of 69 points and Stacy had made only one free throw. He said, I'll always remember this as the night Michael Jordan and I combined for 70 points." And this is how we ought to see ourselves in the light of the glory of Christ within us. In truth, we haven't even contributed an inkling towards our salvation. God's grace has done it all. He has done all of the work and we're just glad to enjoy the victory of being on his side. You and I are pitiful messengers. It took God's grace to change us but we get the privilege of sharing that grace with the world. Were it not for the grace of God in our lives, we would be destitute, drowning in the wake of our sins, but God in His mercy has saved us, not on the basis of what we have done or even what we would do, but in what Jesus Christ has done for us. He didn't just save us, but He sends us out to a lost and dying world filled with, with people in need of the same salvation God has granted to us, we have the opportunity to tell them how God's grace can transform them. We get the humbling honor to show them how the gospel can save them because it has saved us. In Christ, rebels who were once against God are made into righteous ambassadors of the gospel. Over the past four weeks, you've heard what it means to identify yourself in Christ. In Christ, those who were dead in their trespasses and sins are made alive. In Christ, sinners become saints. In Christ, creatures once under God's wrath become children of God's mercy. In Christ, rebels who were once against God are made into righteous ambassadors of the gospel. I wonder this morning whether or not you are truly in Christ. Have you ever trusted that Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and on the third day rose again? Have you ever surrendered your life to Him as Lord? Are you in Christ? I also wonder this morning, for those of you who are in Christ... If you know who you are in him. Are you here this morning and you know you're in Christ, but you've forgotten the blessings and privileges, also the responsibilities and the weight of being in Christ, of being called one of God's children? I challenge you this morning during our time of response To either come to Christ for the very first time. Surrender your life to Him so that you can be found in Him, be saved in Him. If you're here this morning and you're in Christ but you've just forgotten who you are, I challenge you to spend some time just over these next few moments asking Him to remind you who you are you bow your heads and close your eyes just a moment a song of response is going to be played if you're here and you need to come to know Jesus Christ I ask you just to come down to the front and say Jake I want to know Jesus I want to be in Christ I'd love to share with you how Jesus will save you if you'll call upon him as Lord or maybe you're here this morning and You just need to take a few moments, either in the pew where you're seated, or maybe even walking down here to the front and kneeling at the altar, and asking God to help you remember what Jesus Christ has done for you in saving you from your sins. As God calls you this morning, how will you respond to Him?